You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All righty. Hey, guys, I just want to say... I apologize for not getting uh, getting the podcast out on Monday or Tuesday of this week. It's been a little crazy. I'll be completely honest. My buddy, he got married on a Sunday night, and I had a little bit of a hangover on Monday. Now, that's probably not professional to say, but it is what it is. And I had a night away from the kids as well. It was a no-kids wedding, so I kind of took advantage of it. Me and my wife... Had a good time. I danced to 80s music, and uh, it was fun. So <laughs> so there's that. But back to the deer world. Back to the deer world. Back to the deer world. It was kind of nice that I had a really busy week and a busy weekend that I could kind of stay out of the timber. Um, not because I wanted to, but it was one of those things where it was probably for the best because I have a tendency to, you know, go and hunt warm days just because I like to hunt. But, you know, in the long and short of it, obviously, we know that the m- most amount of pressure is the worst that thing that you can do, right? So laying off, especially in, you know, the, those those months where maybe they're not, or that uh, those weeks in October where they're not traveling as much during daylight, they've kind of shut down in the scrapes for a time being, um, and a lot there's a lot of evening activity. Uh, it's probably a good thing that I didn't go into the timber. But with this upcoming weekend, um, I'm I'm pretty excited. I have some uh, some trail camera pictures. Uh, from last year that always showed the 20th, 21st, and 22nd of October, there would be certain activity on a certain part of my farm. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if that, you know, if that movement continues. And uh, bada bing, bada boom, who knows what's going to happen. I will try to shoot a doe again this, uh, this year. But uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited for it. Today, we are going to be talking with a gentleman. His name is Travis Gould. He's from Illinois, and uh, he's going to talk about his 2015 buck that he harvested, and he's going to talk to us about his 2016 mule deer 
that he harvested too. So uh, it's a pretty fun and exciting uh, podcast. He he really paints a picture, and uh, I loved it. I kind of got caught it, caught up in it and uh, was just kind of listening as if I was the, the listener and not the host today. So I found that pretty interesting. But before we get into the podcast, I want to take a moment and uh, talk about our one of our sponsors, our title sponsors, Exodus Trail Cameras. And I just want to kind of give you guys a really quick story from this past weekend. So I have a buddy. Uh, he has a trail camera on the same food plot that I have a trail camera and I can, it's, it's pretty cool because at nighttime he has uh, an infrared, uh, camera. It might even be a flash. I'm not, I'm not sure, but when a deer walks in front of my camera and a deer walks in front of his camera, there's times at night where I can see that flash from his trail camera while that deer's in between us. So, you know, I know there's a trail camera there. And so I was talking to my buddy at this wedding we were at, and he starts talking to me about the trail camera pictures that he's got. And he's like, I'll be honest, all I've gotten is this little four corn and uh, a big, uh, you know, a big group of does. And he's right, there's a group of does that are coming through there almost daily. And there is a spike horn that are coming through there daily and I asked him when he checked his trail camera so did you uh you see any any bigger bucks and he tells me nope I didn't see anything and he's not a hunter so he has no reason to hide anything from me um but I checked my trail cameras and there were two there are actually three different bucks that he did not know were on that property because his trail camera missed those pictures. Now I'm not going to tell you what brand it is, but I will tell you that the Exodus trail camera that I was running caught every one of those bucks coming through. Um, and you know, it's, it's just, it kind of puts it into perspective where if you're a hardcore hunter and every sit counts and you want to make sure that maybe a deer that you're chasing is or is not in that area, you know, if my buddy was a hardcore bow hunter, he may not have hunted that uh, area because he didn't think that there was anything worth shooting. Now for me, I look on my trail camera and what do I see? I see, you know, for me, one potential shooter and the other two were some some uh, younger bucks, but that shows that there's, you know, movement in that area. When, if I check the other trail camera, there wouldn't be movement in that area. So, uh, I just want to share that story and just say that I'm, you know, I, I, I'm happy that I was running, uh, an Exodus trail camera. It captured exactly what I wanted it to capture. And, uh, now I can use that as a piece of a puzzle when it comes to, uh, hunting deer in that area. Now, if you guys want to find out more information about Exodus, go to exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you do decide to purchase one of their trail cameras, enter the code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers, no spaces, and you will receive $20 off your order. So there's that. Now, let's get into today's Hunter Profile podcast with Travis Gould. All right, on the phone with me right now, all the way from Illinois, is Travis Gould. How are you doing today, Travis? Doing great, Dan. How about yourself? You know, it's bow hunting season, so I can't complain, right? That's right. That's absolutely right. 
Have you had an opportunity to get out in the stand at all this year? I have got out a few times. Uh, it's been kind of trying to hit the, you know, the cooler weather that's came through, uh, last weekend, I was actually able to see a, a decent three-year-old buck. Uh, he's not quite a shooter. He's just got, he didn't quite grow right. He looks like his, uh, his G3s didn't develop like they should have. And, uh, he'll, he'll definitely be getting a pass, but seeing some does and, and seeing that buck was kind of nice. Um, but, but I haven't, haven't hit it too hard yet. Waiting on that, that, uh, cold weather. It looks like we could be getting a little bit of this week to try to get back out. That's right. What, uh, what do you got on trail camera? Anything, uh, that's caught your attention so far this year? Yeah. You know, uh, I really, it's, it's kind of funny. I, uh, started hunting whenever I was a little kid. My dad got me into it and I started whenever I was nine years old and hunted all up through the years. And, and in the late two thousands, I kind of got into waterfowling. Well, I decided to, uh, get back into archery hunting pretty heavy around 2012. And that was, uh, when we had the big EHD kill off. So yeah. this year is probably one of the better years I've seen on trail camera for as far as, uh, better bucks since then yeah. my County that I live in really, uh, really took the HD pretty hard. If you pull up the maps of Illinois, it's one of the ones that had some of the most HD kills in it. Right. So we've been rebounding and, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's gotten quite a bit better. And this year there's several, uh, four and five year old deer. And, uh, one, one, uh, eight point that whew, he's, he's pretty decent. He may go, go in the high one forty, low one fifties is an eight. And he's, he's got a pretty good drop time. So he's, oh, nice. he's a buck. I'm definitely, definitely looking after but there's more probably shooter deer this year that i've seen than i have in years past i don't know if that's a culmination of just continually getting into it more and more and going harder and harder over the last you know three four years finding those those new spots but definitely looks good looks optimistic for the season well that's good to hear hopefully you can connect uh yeah um, absolutely this this year on a on a nice buck but Today we're going to talk about your whitetail buck from last year and a mule deer buck from this year. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about you know where you're from and what do you do for a living? Sure, I am uh, from like South Central Illinois. I, I live kind of close to uh, St. Louis, and I I do MRI in St. Louis at a little outpatient facility. Uh, my, my parents and where I grew up is, is a, about an hour east of St. Louis and they have a property there. My dad was a construction worker and he's, he's worked on help build a lot of people's houses around the area, which kind of gave me an end to a lot of permission on a lot of different properties. So I'm right. um, from, from kind of that South central Illinois area, but, but I get a, hunt, a little bit about, Oh, probably an hour, hour and a half east of St. Louis. Okay. So, hour and a half east of st louis i and this may sound i may sound like an idiot for even asking the question but do you border illinois borders kentucky just for a little bit right uh down in the south yeah down in the the south south okay so how far how far of a drive is it for you to get to where you're at and to get into kentucky uh probably like uh around 45 minutes okay i gotcha so you're in that that triangle there where I, I mean a lot of people say that that part you know that part of Kentucky obviously Illinois throughout the entire state is is pretty good and even over into um, you know uh, 
eastern Missouri. Uh, over the years, have you seen good deer numbers and, and good quality bucks since you've been, you know, since you've been hitting the, the timber hard for whitetails? Yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's an area, it's, it's, it's funny. You hear a lot of people say, you, you think, you know, it's Illinois. And I'm sure you hear this too, Dan, being in Iowa, people think, oh, there's a big buck behind every tree. That's not the case. You still really have to work at it to find the better deer. There's a lot of deer. There's just so much food. Uh, and, and then my area, I'm pretty lucky. And some of the counties in Illinois, they're pretty open, but my area does have a lot of timber that's mixed with ag. So there's a lot of really good habitat. Now, the downside to some of that is, though, you get a lot of pressure in that area. And, it, and it's not, I've seen the numbers and stuff, you know, on, on Michigan, how there's so many people per acre. But in, in the gun season especially, I if, you know, I'm sitting there bored kind of paying, you know, paying attention to what's what's going on, I'll kind of count the shots that I hear. And it's nothing for me to hear 200, 225 shots in the morning in, in the area around me. So it, it does draw the deer but it does draw the people also so right. each in the area i hunt most of the timbers are broken up into probably you know between 40 and 80 acre chunks and one two guys have permission on each of those chunks for bow and then as that goes to the gun season it exponentially increases so you do see it if you you really see the deer really see the deer really have the deer on camera gun season hits second gun season hits and the cameras go pretty dark for a while. And if you don't have the food, you you really have a, a rough later season, but overall I'm pretty fortunate. I mean, with the food and the habitat we have in the area, it does grow some, some big deer. And, it, and during the gun season, people always seem to, you know, turn out some just whopper deer. Right. Right. So what kind of property, I mean, describe some of the properties that you hunt on, or is it public, private, ag, timber? It's mostly all private. There is some public. There's not much public around, and I, I am fortunate that I do have a lot of permission around, and it, and it varies. Um, I have, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ag in my area, but then there's good size, you know, 100 to 150-acre timber blocks, and then there'll just be ag around it. Some of the property that my parents actually own, if if you pulled back the aerial map, it's there's a 10-acre patch that we own that from space you can see it's one of the better funnels in the area. It's just um, it's a an ag field on the south side, a house with a decent sized yard on the north side, and then two major timber blocks. And the only thing that connects those two major timber blocks is a our little 10-acre strip of, of timber and the deer that move through there is just unreal. The amount of deer that I've shot in that area is unreal but most of the time we, i kind of look for that since that's kind of what I, I grew up hunting is those little funnels and filter patches especially for the rut um and then i have some areas where i've, I've gotten permission over the years in smaller areas where i can do food plots and those are kind of in off of ag fields in into the timber a little bit but it's pretty flat where we are there's not much elevation change really anywhere and that's pretty common throughout a lot of illinois but uh it's 80 acre to you know 400 acre ag fields that butt up to 80 to 40 acre woodlots in, nice. in most of the area nice so with this little strip uh you know i have a couple uh pieces like that where uh, i don't have permission to the big chunk of timber or you know 
but I have permission to some, some filters that lead out from there. Um, mm-hmm. is that what you're, is that kind of what you're, you, you hunt during the rut? I mean, or is, you know, with it being early season right now, I'm not sure if the crops are out in your area are, are they, are they, are do they come out into the fields and travel in the low spots or are they strictly staying in that little, that strip of timber that you, uh, that, that you have access to? Sure. That spot there, I've actually, through being a kid and not having a lot of spots and making a lot of mistakes, like a lot of us do and realizing that I can burn out spots. I will not go in there till about Halloween to, you know, the start of the rut. I have other areas. I have probably about 15 or 16 set set up over all different kinds of stuff um right now what i've been hunting on is uh white oaks i go out and look for the white oaks and then the food plots um and and just watching the cameras on those food plots and trying to see if a deer that i'm wanting to shoot is in there and finding finding the right wind i've got it kind of set up where i can drive my my four-wheeler and all the ag that goes on in our area it just doesn't seem like the four-wheeler bothers the deer very much so i can drive right up to the cameras pop off grab my card and be right out of there so early season i'm looking for white oaks that are kind of you know a little ways off of bedding areas and then my food plots um and just watching for the deer coming in there through whenever i got back into to archery hunting i uh oh late 2000s i i kind of got into waterfowl hunting and i got a nasty little fight with target panic that kind of drove me out of out of archery stuff a little bit and i got back into it in 2012 and I hadn't hunted most of that season until November. And I went into that spot that I'd always hunted before in that little funnel and had just an unreal hunt, you know, mature bucks moving all around, rattled the deer in, had deer snort wheezing at each other. And it was kind of like a little light bulb started to go off of, Oh, if I leave these areas alone, a first time in can be so important. So I really started working from that time on to find other areas that I could hunt and leave the, leave the ones that I really consider as key rut areas alone until the right time. And Oh, 2012, 2013, 2014, and last year, 2015, I found that my best hunts through the day that was my best hunt through each of the years was always the first time in. So I just have always tried to try to minimize intrusion in those areas. Once I kind of saw that, you know, light bulb click on moment of, you know, that first time in, keep pressure as low as you can. Before when I was a kid, I just kind of hunted, you know, wherever and whenever I liked being out there. And I didn't realize the damage I was doing to those spots. So, so right. over the years, I've kind of, you know, figured that out. So I do hunt less impact and on the food now, and we'll be transitioning into those spots that I consider my better funnel rut areas as, as the season's going on here. How, how often do you check your trail cameras? I usually, I'll put them out and I put them out kind of early, probably this year. I put them out in the end of May and through the summertime, I try to go a month before I check them again to make sure. And the thing, I don't like to go a lot more than a month just in case I did something wrong and the camera's not on. So I don't have two months of the camera not being on. And then as it gets closer to season, I'll start going two weeks. And then as it's, as it's getting into season here, I'll probably do about it once a week. And then as we get into the rut, maybe even faster, like three to four days, if I'm not doing too much intrusion, if it's, if it's in an area where I can still 
get to where I don't have to walk deep into the heart of some bedding or something along those lines, I'll check them, you know, every three, four days and, and, you know, make sure I'm not missing on something that a deer's moving through an area that had relocated or, or something along those lines. Okay. So, you know, kind of backing up into maybe some of the summer months, what is your, I mean, what's your, your white tail season, or I should say season, your year look like? I mean, it, it sounds to me like you're planting food plots. How many acres of food plots are you planting? Um, you know, what are you planting? Kind of walk us through what, what that looks like. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny because as the, as the years have went on here and I've got more into it, the more I have gotten into keeping constantly feeling like you're like you're deer hunting where you never really stop doing deer hunting things it's funny because my birthday is on february 27th and as somebody asked me at the office like what do you want to do for your birthday this weekend i said i kind of want to go out and walk some timber and hang another tree stand <laughs> and that was on february 27th that i was already planning for this year and it's talking about a first time in i have a, a spot that i hung on february 27th that i found this killer sign coming out of a little bedding area and I can't wait to hunt it, but I got to wait till the wind's exactly perfect. And I feel like it's that right time of year before I go, go running into that spot. But where my food plots are, I have, uh, uh it's not a big area. Um, it's probably between everything. I probably have about three, four acres of food plot planted. My dad has a, a Kubota tractor that he uh, graciously lets me use with a rototiller and, and all that good stuff. So I have, uh, a one acre patch of soybeans, another one acre patch of forage soybeans. And then I have about a quarter acre patch of clover. And then I have actually on the back of one of the uh, soybean patches, I have probably a three quarter acre patch of brassicas. This kind of with the clover and the brassicas trying to match up. I know I saw some stuff last year where guys are having a lot of success in December whenever it was warmer on the green food. And I didn't want to go all grains because it seemed like they weren't hitting the grains or at least from what some of the people i was i was talking to and stuff i was seeing they weren't really hitting all grains so i didn't want to put everything in the grains although the deer just really love soybeans around here so i like to i like to put those in um last year i'd put in a, a plot of brassicas and soybeans and they destroyed the soybeans before they even started eating the brassicas whatsoever um but it's pretty much getting out there in the you know late uh, late winter early spring and trying to walk as much property there's some properties around here that they've logged that i can hunt and if you try to scout them when it's not late winter it's brutal walking through there it's just so thick it's so hard to see anything and and pick up on anything and you can see so much if you go in that late winter time period and then going into the spring turkey season hits so i get to do my turkey hunting and i'm kind of thinking about getting the soybean food plots in so i'll get the get soybean plots in start getting cameras up and uh get the clover in you know for try to frost seed that in early and then uh, whenever it hits time in august i try to get the get the brassicas planted but i try to get all my tree stands pretty much done you know early august at the latest uh, some of the spots that i i know i've listen to the podcast i know you really like to do hanging hunts and i do kind of an altered version of that where i'll go out and if i know a tree that i really want to do if i don't want to carry sticks and everything i'll go put trees like little screwing steps in a tree so i have several trees that are just prepped with the steps and yep. it's got boulders yep. and everything and it just doesn't have a stand in it so all i have to do is carry my light stand in 
throw it up and, and I'm ready to hunt those spots as well. But just constantly scouting, trying to find a deer that I want to go after and find, kind of figure out his area that he, that he wants to be in and, and uh, figure out the properties as best as I can all year long till it gets up into the season. Gotcha. What makes your hit list? You know, I haven't killed a whole lot of really big deer around here, even though there are a lot of big deer around here. So I'm try, if, I try real hard to get four year old. Um, if if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. If I get a, a pretty good sized three year old, it's hard for me not to shoot him. Really, right. I don't want to shoot anything below that. Um, I still because I have a little bit of control over some property. I still, I have some deer this year that I'm kind of really on the fence about that are older deer that have not so great racks. There's uh, a deer that's extremely wide, but he just has no time height, but I've been getting pictures of him for, you know, three years now. And it's to the point where he's getting kind of a bully trying to push out my bigger antler deer. And I don't know, you know, at this time of year, if I want to, shoot him in, in Illinois, you can take two bucks. Uh, I don't know if, if I want to shoot him and, and give up one of my buck tags just yet. So you just kind of piece it together as you go throughout the year. But mostly, mostly I'm trying to get a four-year-old or older deer. Um, if, if it's a real slamming three-year-old though, it is, it is tough for me to let it go. Okay. So now the buck that you shot last year, let's talk a little bit about him. Um, did you have any type of history with this buck, any sheds, any trail camera pictures, any encounters? Sure. Sure. Last year, um, two, actually two years ago in 2014, um, I hadn't had any pictures of this deer at all. And I had a camera in that, uh, that little funnel area we were talking about earlier. And he came through, oh, probably around like November 5th or 6th. He came through there and he, he came through in daylight and then he came through another time in dark, another day, and that was the only pictures I've, I got of that deer all year long. And I kind of—he was—he was the one of the biggest deer that I had on camera all you know throughout the whole year. But I never did see him um, that year, and it was pretty obvious he wasn't summering, and it even seemed like he wasn't really wintering on my property. He—he um, he just didn't show up any other part of the year except during the rut he showed up moving through that area okay he, uh, so so then i mean so in 2014 was your first type of year what did he what did he look like in 2014 he he what we thought and he thought he was either a three or a four-year-old deer then and he was just a little bit he didn't quite have the mass that he did in 2015 where when i was was able to get him he uh was just a little bit spindly but he had a pretty similar frame to what he did uh, in 2015 he like i said i just didn't get very many pictures of him but i did really good, were good pictures of him he was coming to the camera and he was right in the camera so you were able to tell what the deer was or who the deer was on the two pictures and i just didn't see him again and and his body you know he had he had that pretty good sized body um, it was kind of hard to tell from the pictures if he was a three or a four year old deer, but I knew, you know, you know, he's not a two and a half year old, just the way he looked, you could tell he was, was a bigger body deer than that. And one that I was definitely interested to see, see on the hoof, it just never did happen in 2014. Okay. So any, any 
type of other trail camera picks or like when did he show up again in 2015 any any sheds or any other trail camera pictures sure so in 2015 ran cameras and and you know a bunch of the area around there never saw him never saw him never saw him and there was other deer i was looking after but it was funny it was actually a deer that was in the back of my mind i was one day i was clicking through my you know i have all my pictures saved from the year before on on the laptop and my wife walked in and she saw me just staring at that deer in the camera she's like why don't you shoot a deer like that i said oh, i don't know where that deer went i said i, don't, I only had one one or two pictures of him um but in in that area where i did get pictures of him i went in and had hung a stand in 2014 thinking the way he was kind of coming that he would cruise this this little ridge that because there was there was a couple doe bedding areas and i thought he may come cruise through that through that ridge and i just never never did see him there and and you know in 2014 and in 2015 i never really got anything of him throughout the year leading up to that to that time so kept running cameras kept running cameras wasn't going into that area wasn't going into that area and it it came time to where i had some days off through work um and actually the saturday morning and i had a few days off like the monday tuesday after that saturday morning went down in there and i'd set a scrape or set a camera over a scrape and really close to the area where i'd seen him in 2014 and kind of had in my mind you know that maybe a doe had drug him over here i don't know if there was a doe that came into estrus a little bit before the other deer but you know november 5th there ought to be a lot of deer that are in in that that time frame if he just chased a doe off of wherever it is he's living and he came over in the area and went down there and i think november 6th he had hit that scrape which told me he was in the area so the year before he'd been on camera once in daylight once in dark and now this this year i'd, I'd had a picture of him just a few days before and last year I, you know i thought hey he was only in my area for a few days. I don't know if he was with the doe, what the deal was, but I never did get any, any, you know, other history with him. Well, that, that day I checked the camera and saw he'd been in that area. And I was like, Hey, I got to get back in there. Cause if he does what he did last year, he may give me an opportunity coming through there. So I got in there, hadn't hunted that set all year long. Had just been kind of saving it, checking that camera or those couple of cameras that were in the area. Didn't want to hunt it and put any scent in there and got in the set and there were there were deer just going all over the place in there little bucks that were running does and they kept running up over into this other little bedding area and they would run does out of there and was a really really great set and it'd been going on day going on seeing lots of deer seeing lots of deer and i'd actually stood up and there's a field back behind me and i was looking back behind me and oh probably 60 yards in front of that stand these these weeds grow in the woods which is kind of a weird area but these thick weeds kind of grow in this area in the woods and i always thought well maybe some does or something could hold up in there i'm i'm sitting facing south and this bedding area is kind of to my north and i'm looking through the binoculars and it just sounds like a freight train comes smashing through those weeds and you can just hear of a buck just grunt 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 and i spun around real quick and got the binoculars up and it was him he was he was running the doe through there and right away you know i I could tell tell it was him and he he was running the doe kind of over to my right and she had a fawn with her and that fawn separated from her and came and stood right under my tree stand so i got spun around and got a hold of my bow and i don't know if she just wasn't as receptive or he'd just been running there a little bit but she 
broke off and came over to that fawn and was standing right under my tree stand. Well, he spun and kind of worked back through those weeds and turned and was just slowly coming right towards me. And it was one of those deals where it just happened so fast that you just, you know, kind of, kind of react. And he came straight towards me, cut to the left and stopped 20 yard shot and drilled him. And he didn't, didn't make it up out of the creek bottom there. He, he crashed down on the other side. And it was, it was just a crazy happening to see him just in that little window the year before, wait all year to get into that set, get his picture that two days before on out on the field edge on the scrape and then get him in an area where I thought he could possibly come through the year before, but it was just the next year whenever he showed up in that same time frame. Right. Okay. So it was one of those things where, hey, I saw a deer here last year. Uh, maybe he'll come through again. Um, are you, uh, are you kind of a believer in annual patterns? It, boy, it kind of seems that way on some of the deer around here. Um, it, where they, the other deer, now this deer, I never got him where he was, where he was summering and where he was really winter. And he was just coming through, it seemed like this area. And it could have just been, he was running a doe that came over to this thicker cover. But, uh, some of them, the deer that I have consistent history with now that, that deer that has the shorter times I've kind of debated on killing. He has lived in pretty much, you know, a hundred acre patch for the last three or four years. I'm getting consistently his pictures in there. And same thing with another deer that's, uh, you know, in, in another area, I'm just consistently seeing that deer come through. But then at the same time, there's, there's a deer that has a really funky deformed rack that, I could kind of help my buddy run trail cameras and we got pictures of him. Oh, probably six miles away from my property. And in the rut, he showed up in my property and he actually stayed there through a lot of this summer. And now he's back over on my buddy's property at the beginning of this fall. So it seems like, it seems like each deer kind of has its own personality uh, with their aggression levels and, and maybe where they like to live even so if you can get a little bit of history with a deer or know possibly where a deer is showing up at what time of year i think you can kind of replicate it on that deer but but then there's other deer obviously like that one with the real strange defined rack that's traveling you know six seven miles from where he's wintering and summer and and flip-flopping back and forth year to year so they they just seem like they it's all kind of in their personality either it seems like they're homebodied or, or some of them just get out and really run around yeah i got a i got a couple bucks that uh, actually this upcoming season uh i have them on trail camera like the 21st or 20th 21st and 22nd so uh this coming weekend i'm kind of excited to get into one of these locations and uh yeah you know spend some time and just kind of see what's moving and it sounds like we got some colder weather coming towards the end of the week and um i don't know about you but i'm going to try to uh, hop into some some halfway decent spots yeah ab- absolutely that was actually something i was thinking about and debating a lot today looking at those wind directions and kind of i'm looking out at the not only this weekend but the next weekend and, and gauging that you know maybe halloween weekends whenever i would start going into those little bit higher risk higher reward stands but with with the cold front that's pushing through i may not get those same similar temperatures the next weekend and i may kind of adjust a little bit and and try a set like that this coming weekend with the temperature and especially since uh 
oh, last weekend I, I saw a buck that I didn't really expect to see. It was a three-year-old that was up and moving at eight o'clock on a morning sit whenever I was kind of sitting, you know, on an, in an observation area. And it was, it was on a little cooler morning. I think it was like 42 degrees that morning whenever I went out and I really didn't expect to see a deer like that, but it made me think this next coming front is going to have similar temperatures and, and things like that. And it looks, looked like on the back side of that front, our, the barometer is going to get relatively high too, which there was a, it was climbing that day that I saw him and he kind of correlated a little bit with moon time as well, whenever he was out there. So things look decent. I might try to push into a little, little more riskier spot. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, man, hopefully it, uh, hopefully it all play, pays up for you. Uh, and you know, some of that annual movement, uh, helps you out again. So. Absolutely, yeah. All right. So, but you've already had success this season. Um, yeah. and by looking at this picture, I'm going to tell you right now that I am extremely jealous of you and <laughs> that is a one hell of a mule deer. Uh, why don't you, yeah. I, let's, let's first, before we talk about this particular mule deer in this hunt, how long have you been going out, like out West to where mule deer, what state was this in? First of all. That was in that was in Canada. That was in Alberta, Canada. Oh, Al- um, Alberta, Canada. Okay. Yeah. So tell us. I mean, how long yes. have you been going to Canada to hunt? That was the first time I've ever went anywhere. I've okay. always wanted to pick up, and let's, I should say, we've. Whenever I was a little younger, kind of in high school, my me and my dad and some of our friends, we went out to Nebraska a couple times and rifle hunted. But I really wanted to go do an archery hunt, and that was that was the first time I'd ever ever picked up and, and went out anywhere like that i uh kind of got the wild hair to to look into something that, like that i was reading a bow hunter magazine i think it was like the march of 2014 issue and there was a big write-up in there by bow hunting safari consultants about all these different hunts and i was like man you know i would really really like to try to go do something like that and it kind of started the the wheel spinning on planning things and, and looking into a lot of different things and, and thinking about what would I like to try to go do, you know, elk, mule deer, antelope, bear, all these different things. And, and what could I possibly do by myself? What did I feel like I needed help going out and trying to do? And it actually led me to, to contact uh, hunting for our consultants and they were super, super, super helpful and kind of letting me know all these different things about all these different species and all these different hunts. And I kind of told them that mule deer was something I was interested in. And I, uh, but told them, you know, I just had started a new job and it may not be that fall that I would get to go do anything. So went the whole next year around to, Oh, the winter of, of 2015. And I'm kind of talking to my dad and, uh, originally I kind of planned on trying to maybe get something together where me and him could go somewhere and looking into the different things, you know, DIY things, guided things. He'd been out to Colorado whenever I was just a little kid on some, some DIY elk hunts before and hadn't really decided on a species, just really wanted to go do something I knew and, uh, had, had talked to bow hunting safari consultants again. And, and they actually had emailed me back and they said, Hey, we got a guy in Alberta that hasn't sold his, his uh, last tag. And if you're interested this is this is the deal on it, but you need to decide pretty fast, or it's something that's gonna, you know, something's gonna go. 
and kind of talked with my wife and seen if I could get that together and, and come up with being able to do that and getting the time off through work and decided I, you know, it was something I wanted to try and go do. And never been out, never went anywhere, never didn't really know what to expect. You know, I talked to some different guys that were references and they can give me as much info as they can, but it's uh it's kind of a it's funny people ask me as, as the hunt was coming up they're like are you excited for the hunt i was like i am absolutely excited for this hunt but i absolutely do not know what to expect because you can only watch so many videos on youtube about you know mule deer hunting over here or, or you know in in wyoming and colorado and canada and montana and you know come to a conclusion what you think it's going to be like and, and me somebody that spent my you know whole life strapped to a tree 20 feet up is quite a different experience sneaking after something along the ground and then uh finding finding a place to ambush them like we do with the white tails right right now was this were you using an outfitter or was this guy like a host because i know in canada sure. you either have to have an outfitter or you either have to have someone host you uh to hunt and from my understanding that's only once every so so many years so this this was an outfitted hunt um okay yeah like you said you can't you can't in canada you you can't just draw like you can in wyoming or in um you know any any of the places in the states you can't just just straight draw a tag uh you have to go through and i, I thought they might have even changed the rules i don't know if you can do that even any longer for um getting a host it might you might still be able to in some of the areas but in alberta i had to book through this outfitter and then I was guaranteed a tag. I didn't have to draw or anything along those lines. And, and talking to those guys, they say, you know, the locals, it takes them sometimes, you know, six, seven years to get a tag even. So it's hard, hard tag to get. But if you go through an outfitter like that, you can get, uh, just get your tag. Basically they get so many allotments per different units or it'd be like our counties in Illinois, you get County like gun permits, but, um, uh, they get allotments for units in different areas in Alberta. Gotcha. Okay. So what's the, what is the terrain like up there? Like what, what's the style of uh, land? How's it lay? What are you hunting as far as I'm, are you out of a tree? Are you in a blind? Are you spotting stalking? Sure. Yeah. What it was. And I was kind of asking around and everybody's like, Oh, it's flat. It's flat. And then there's these, these things they call coolies, which are like, I'd call them like, valleys kind of like but but steeper <laughs> than a valley and and and, and talking to uh to my guide there he said they hunt three different units and the unit i was in he said probably had the, some of the nastiest terrain and it's it's flat you can see out across it but then you drop into these coolies and they're they're pretty steep and and rocky and it's it's kind of like desert there uh there was rattlesnakes we kept coming across we jump really about out of our boots whenever we'd come across the rattlesnakes yeah that was that was kind of unnerving from time to time or you'd be walking through some tall grass and kick up some partridges or something and scare the tar out of you you'd think a, a rattlesnake would have you but there were uh, elk and moose and tons and tons of antelope i was actually right along the montana canada border you could see uh, some hills off in the distance that were into montana but it was okay. it was real really deserty actually uh and and then there would be these deep coolies that the deer would get in to kind of get out of the out of the sun uh but just big flat areas and what we would do is it's we wouldn't really go into any of the areas 
before 9.30 or 10, and we wouldn't really be in them much past 5 because we really needed the deer to lay up. So we were walking constantly. Whenever There's really no trees at all there to, to tree stand hunt out of, and setting up a blind, it's just such a big area. It's so much more effective spotting and stalking. So the way the, the area is kind of set up, the way they kind of explained it to me is, is there's these blocks and they call them quarters and they're like two miles long by one mile wide. So it's kind of like a gridded road system and you can get to an area, then we get out and walk. I think the first day we walked 14 miles probably uh, up and down through, through some of those coolies and we'd go on a seven mile walk and, and see what deer we'd come across. Then we'd go on a five mile walk over here. Then we'd go on a you know three mile walk over here, just going through these areas, depending on which way the wind was blowing, how we would work them. So we'd, you know, always be downwind of the deer. And then also how the sun was shining into those areas. So we could try to find the deer in the shade before they would see us working through the coolies. Okay. So was there a pattern? I guess this, this was in September, right? When you went out there, yes. what was yep. the, mm-hmm. when, did, when did you get out there? I got out there September 11th. Okay. September 11th. So, um, were obviously this deer that you shot ended up being hardhorn, but did you see any uh, velvet bucks out there still? We didn't see any velvet. I had, I'd asked him about that, and he said they shed out probably a few weeks before I actually got out there. Um, okay. Said they they really don't kill many velvet deer, even though the, there had been a guy there hunting the week before me. Um, he said they just really the deer around the area it was interesting we'd come across since there's no trees i even asked him i was like what do these deer rub their velvet off on and he's like i you know i don't really know i don't really thought of that but there's these <laughs> willows and you'd see these willows that would just be destroyed where the right. those bucks would just just rake their their velvet off on that um but if if you talk about a pattern it seemed like to me and, I, and i'm just kind of asking questions and seeing how, how the week goes on but a lot of the places where we where he was usually seeing deer in the crop fields, the deer weren't really there. What was happening is most of the deer were back in the coolies or the cover or where they bed because there had been more moisture, like record moisture that year. And the grass and stuff in those, in those coolies, the forage had grown better than it ever had. So these deer weren't coming out to the crop field near as much as they ever did before. They were just kind of, you know, standing up out of their bed, feeding right around there on, on, buck brush bushes and, and berries and stuff and then boom, right back into bed and they never really had to go anywhere so we okay. there was multiple times where we'd be sitting in an area and it didn't look like we were seeing any deer and all of a sudden the deer would just pop up out of this buck brush where he just kind of been laying there eating and you make a decision you know if you were going to try to sneak in there and make a move on him or not but it, it just seemed like the pattern was off from what it had been just just in talking to him from in years past Okay. So when you were out there, what kind of numbers were you seeing? There was, there was a lot of deer. Uh, the first day we saw probably 23 bucks and doesn't not obviously not, not all shooter deer. There was a lot of younger deer. I, in, in talking to him, he said they had a pretty tough winter a couple years ago and I would almost wonder if they didn't lose some deer just because it seemed like there was a pretty big, hike in the younger age class deer like those right. year and a half two-year-old deer and it was harder to find you know three four-year-old deer and 
And it was just, we really, it seemed like we really had to work to find a decent deer, but we would see a lot of deer. There wasn't very many times we got out of the truck and walked around that we didn't see a good amount of deer. Um, but it, the first day we probably saw the most of, of any of the other days, but that is also possibly because we found the bucks that we wanted to hunt the evening of the, of the first day. It was just a, a different area. You know, we'd worked through some coolies, seen deer, got in close to deer, not deer I wanted to shoot. Um, worked through some some really gnarly terrain uh, to get get in close to some some decent deer. They just didn't have very deep forks. There was one that was quite wide. He just didn't have much for forks, and didn't want didn't want to take him on the first day. And we actually oh we we hunted from you know that ten o'clock window to at four or five o'clock window. And then we, we got out and drove around and he said, there's an area he wanted to go check. It was kind of this big sage bottom. It everywhere else we really hunted was these steep, gnarly terrain that was tough getting in and out of, but this area was more gradual and flat. And it had a lot of this, this buck brush growing in this old Creek bed. And that night we actually found quite a few better bucks in that area. They were just that, little older age class and, and better antlered deer that were in there. And they did not seem to care. We were relatively, there was actually a place we could, we could drive to on the road and we could sit up above those deer and glass them with spotting scope and binoculars. And the first, first day they really didn't seem to care, you know, that we were, we were hanging out there and checking them out and there were multiple deer in there. I was pretty happy to take. So we continued to go back and watch those deer as, as the week went on, I think every morning after the first day, we started our mornings in that spot right at daylight, watching those deer, seeing what those deer were doing, where they were getting up, where they were moving to, and how they were setting up um, so we could try to decide if we were going to make stocks on them. Nice. So, man, I, I'm just like, I'm, I'm trying to imagine myself in your shoes, you know. What, um, I mean, how many how many stocks did you go on, um, before you, you know, stocked up on this buck? Uh, and then did you have any type of a goal set as far as age or antler size, or was that given to you by the outfitter? So I, uh, I talked to him right away whenever I got there and I kind of looked at deer online and not knowing exactly what a mule deer is and never being on a Western hunt or anything like that. I had told him, I said, I, I'm more interested in getting a, a decent buck than holding out and not getting a buck. So he said, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's understandable. Um, I know some guys, he said he has a guy that comes and hunts with him every year and he's killed some whoppers. And that guy, I think he was turning down 180 inches the week before he just didn't want to shoot him. And I was like, Oh, that will be plenty fine with me. You know, <laughs> I'll definitely <laughs> take that. So I had, had talked to him right away whenever we got that and kind of explained what I was looking for. And he said, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's cool. And we, uh, on Tuesday, we actually watched those deer in that, in that sage bottom area. And there was a darker horn four by four. That was actually the deer that I did end up killing that we, we stalked in on. See Monday, Monday we had a stalk and I could have shot that deer and just decided not to do it. And then Tuesday we, we stalked in on this buck and we got in and it was windy that day. And I was, that was one thing I was just taken away from it is the ability of, if you move slow and use the wind, 
how close you can get to these deer. We got to 17 yards on that deer bedded in the, in the sage on, on Tuesday. And he's like, let's just kneel down and just wait on him to stand up and, and, you know, we'll be able to take the shot. And he was bedded in there with a three by three that they're like, oh, that's a, you know, nothing deer. And I'm looking at this deer and, a, a, and the, with a the mule deer, they call them, you know, not eight pointers or 10 pointers. They call them three by three, four by four. So this three by three looks like the biggest eight point I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> it's just a giant frame, but it just doesn't fork in the back. And I'm like, that's a nothing deer. I'm like sitting 17 yards away from this giant three by three. And so we're waiting on this four by four to stand up and we sit on that deer for two and a half hours. And anybody that doesn't think that's bad, man, sit on your knees for two and a half hours. It is, it is grueling. And we got to the point where I was just having a hard time kneeling and, and we kind of move around a little bit and try not to, uh, you know, try to relieve the tension on our knees. And I actually, my, my feet were falling asleep and I was like, man, if this deer stands up and I got to move somehow, I'm going to, I'm going to fall over. And so we're, we're sitting there and I'm, I'm like, man, I got to just try to resituate myself a little bit. So I kind of bring my legs over while my feet are asleep and I like half fall over and ding my release <laughs> against my bow. The three by three jumps up and boom, gone. It is gone. And that is another thing I really took for. I did not expect them to just bolt like they do. Uh, but I guess when you're that close to them, they just get out of there. But that, that four by four, he didn't really know what happened. He just saw his buddy run off. So he ran with him. So blew that one, I, you know, tipped over with the sleeping feet and, and blew that stock. And we, uh, tried to stalk another deer on, on Tuesday and got in close. And it was a big three by four, just a huge three by four buck. And just, just got close, probably 80 yards, but some does busted us. And those bucks just kind of eased out of there. They didn't really know what was going on. They just kind of got out of there. And Wednesday, we, we went back to Sage Creek area again, found those deer again. And it was kind of interesting. It was, as the week went on, it was really interesting. In Illinois, I can only see so far because of the woods. So I can't, it's, you know, you can't see bucks like we can out there, a big open terrain. But you could see in those bucks just a little different in their demeanor and their attention to detail, I guess. And I think it was, you know, because we got in there and messed with them the day before. Right. And that's not something you see in the woods back home because you can't see for three miles. So you don't see that buck, you know, changing his travel route. But these deer had moved probably, oh, 150 to 300 yards over from where they'd been the day before. When you think about being in the tree stand, if, it, you know, a buck could slink through 300 yards over and you'd never even know he came by if you busted him the day before or something along those lines. So it even kind of drove home that point of how pressure can affect deer even more. But there was no wind on Wednesday and we decided we didn't want to go in there. So we didn't want to mess them up anymore. Just give them a day. Went to another area that uh, looked a lot like the area where we were on those deer and just kind of sit and waited it out. And it was probably noon. We hadn't been out of the truck. It just, there was no wind whatsoever. And we just kind of look over to the side, side of the creek next to us. And there's antlers probably 50 yards away of another decent buck and we uh got out of the truck and i even asked him i was like hey is this even worth it there's no wind i don't want to just blow this deer out of here and he said no i said we might as well try and we snuck in the probably 20 yards of that deer also but once we got in there we were able to look him over a little better not a deer we wanted to shoot and we snuck out got back in the truck and drove off the deer never even knew we were there so it just seemed oh, wow. just learning about how you could 
if you take your time and try to use the little bitty bit of wind you were getting, how you could move on those deer. So Wednesday, uh, didn't see much. The wind was really killing us that day. Thursday came around and we went back to that Sage Creek area again and we saw that big three by four, but the, the four by four we'd set on the day before, nowhere to be found. We couldn't, couldn't see him at all that day. So we saw the big three by four and actually a new four by four buck trying to go up into this little uh, coulee and it wasn't real deep in there or steep. And we watched him and we watched him bed up in there. So not much wind again on Thursday. So we thought, ah, let's go see if somewhere else, see if that wind comes up, see if those deer, you know, hang out in there. They're probably bedded down for the day. So take off, go around, spend, you know, a couple hours looking through other areas, never really found anything we wanted. We're like, yeah, there's a little bit of wind. Let's go back, go back and get on those deer. So go back. We stop up on our hill where we've been glassing. We're watching. Can't really see them. They kind of bedded in some buck brush. And there's like nobody out here. There's not a soul driving around on these roads. We see this school bus coming. And we're kind of like, ha ha, you know, they're bringing a bus full of hunters to drop out down there. Because this, this was, <laughs> he, he, he explained it, you know, it's, it's like this government grazing ground, which is kind of like public, but you have to ask somebody if you can go on it. I, did, I didn't really totally understand it, but essentially it was public ground. So they drive down in the bottom. We lose sight of them. Can't see them. They never come out. So we're like joking and laughing. Like there's these, you know, going to dump out all these people in a hunting spot down there. They never come out of the bottom. So we're like, what's going on here? So we drive over the edge and there is like 50 people pouring out of this bus with hiking equipment and all this stuff going up into the coolies where these deer are. And I was like, holy crap, man, we have got to go right now and try to beat these people up in the, up into these coolies. So we just took off, like busting this across that sage flat. I think we covered a mile and a half in like 13 minutes or something, just practically running across the sage. I bet these people got a laugh at us, like out there running past them, trying to get up into this, up into this coolie to try to get after this deer. And we hit the area where, where the deer were and we're kind of walking straight up this coolie towards this deer and i can't see him i'm not seeing anything really and there is a little bit of wind that's kind of blowing which is helping cover our sound a little bit so sneaking up through there sneaking up through there and i stop and we get to the kind of the point where i thought they were going to be and i'm looking past this big big buck brush area and he goes do you see him and i was like no i don't see him and he's like right there and they were 40 yards away you can see this big four by four rack sticking up out of the buck brush i was like oh boy <laughs> right there and you can hear these people talking and stuff the sounds traveling on the wind coming up over this ridge i'm like oh man this is gonna be this is gonna be a mess if somebody comes hiking up here and we're sitting on these deer this is just crazy so we as the when the wind would blow we'd take just a few steps and we snuck just a little bit further forward and sit down on on that deer we could see that big four by four in there at 30 yards so we're sitting there and i'm sitting there like it's not i mean the wind's blowing a little bit but it's pretty dead calm sitting there i'm like okay last time feet fell asleep i'm gonna get my feet in a better you know better situation so get set up and we sit there for probably 30 minutes on this deer and this biggest like cartoon bumblebee flies up and lands on my hand and crawls in between my bow and my hand and it's just like milling around in between my my palm of my hand and my bow. And I'm like, what am I going to do if this thing stings me? I can't I can't move. I can't yell or anything. I can't really be like shaking this bee off my hand. So it was this big, 
big mess of you know people coming up the hill these insects are, are bothering me i'm trying to be quiet and he's like i think there's another deer in there with that deer and he's like i think it's a littler deer so i'm like okay so i kind of grab my binoculars and bring them up to my face to see just to see if i can tell how this deer's laying just so i can kind of have in my mind when he stands up where i need to be aiming so i can take that shot and as soon as my binoculars touch my face, I just see this like giant rack raise up out of the, out of the buck brush there. And that big three by four was laying in there with him where we couldn't see. I dropped my binoculars, hooked my release on draw, and he's already just gone. He just turns, bolts, gone. And the other deer, same thing. He sees that his buddy's running out of there. So man, he, he hits it too. So I'm thinking, oh man, it's Thursday. You know, all, all I got left is Friday and then I can hunt Saturday morning. I'm like I, I screwed it up. We were 30 yards away in on these deer so i was kind of down on thursday when we're hiking out of there and all these people are hiking up in there i'm like man these deer are not coming back there's people in here we scared them again so we went on checked a few more spots got close on another deer oh he was probably 60 yards and he just wouldn't come out of the brush and and turned and worked straight away from us at 70 yards and he just got too far out to take a shot at on thursday evening so went back to the house and we're kind of planning out like hey do you think it's worth going back in there checking it you know we scared these deer a few times you know they've seen us a few times we're laying scent in there all the people laying scent in there he's like no i think i think we ought to get back in there and you know check it out again so friday morning we show up i'm like hey i got this morning and the next morning open open we can get it done and i was quite happy to see the three by four come standing up out of his bed where he'd been you know days before even though we kicked him out of there he came up out of there but you could just tell he was just leery super 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 leery super on edge and he immediately started working up into the coolies where he'd fed down into the big bottom before and we're watching that nice four by four pops up out of there and then we see the four by four that we set up on tuesday that we didn't didn't get the shot at where my feet fell asleep and i about fell over so they kind of all spread out across the bottom we're like oh man this is perfect there's three deer that are far enough away from each other that if we botch one we can just you know move on to the next deer so we're sitting there watching these deer again and it's just great i mean we ain't seen any people out here and the rancher drives down and backs his cattle trailer around pulls up jumps out slamming slamming doors getting horses out of here to go check his cows lets out like a herd of dogs that's barking like crazy and that big three by four just throws his head up He's like two miles away. He hears these dogs barking and just turns and runs and just runs and runs and runs and runs and runs and and just off into the sunset. (laughs) Never stops running. So these, I'm like, man, he's, he's gone. I was like, these other two bucks are going to blow out of here and we're, we're hosed. But we kept kind of watching and those other deer would look, but they never really got to the point where they wanted to run out of there. But these two dropped down and kind of got together and we we watch there's a big creek bed that runs through this area and it's real steep on as it where it's been carved out and those deer can get in there and bed in that shade and they really like it as the sun comes up because they can kind of lay in that buck brush and feed on those berries and lay up in that shade well we watched them finally bed down wasn't much wind thought you know let's go check a few more areas and try to get back in here on them since we're kind of running low on time so we went talked to another guy about another piece of property that we hadn't got on yet. And and he said, yeah, no problem. You guys can go up in there if you want. 
Well, the wind started to blow pretty good when we were there. And we're like, okay. So he gets back in the truck and he says, hey, let's just go kill that deer and be done with it. I was like, yeah, sounds great. Let's, you know, let's go do it. So the wind's blowing. So we get back there and it's just not blowing that good in that area. I don't know if it just the way it was blowing through that big bottom, but it was enough. It was blowing enough. So we uh, get out, get, get prepped up, take off across the big sage flat. And we're working up to the uh, one bend in the creek where the creek really cuts out. So we can kind of try to get where we can see where those deer, where we thought we saw them bed before. So we're working along nice and slow. And we come up and a doe pops up out of the sage. She's probably hundred yards away. And we're like, she just looked like she was feeding. She didn't really look like she was onto us yet. So we're kind of standing there, checking out the area, checking out the area and just waiting on her to lay back down so we can move up to this, this lip of this creek and kind of drop down and work around on these deer. So we're standing there, standing there, standing there. I'm like, you know, I'm just standing here. I'm not doing anything. And there's some buck brush over to my left. I'll just kind of glass down the edge of this creek and turn, bring my binoculars up. Like it's the same thing. As soon as they hit my face, there's the buck that I sit on on Tuesday, 80 yards away, better than the buck brush. If we went five more feet forward, he's, seeing us if we go five more feet forward our wind's blowing right at him so we just stopped perfectly in time to be able to see that deer so i'm tapping jim i'm like hey jim he's right there he's right there and he's kind of looking and i can tell he's looking like way off in this is like no man he's right here like i'm knocking an arrow <laughs> he's right here and he's like oh he sees him and he's like let's get as low as we can and just sneak back around him and get the wind in our favor so we snuck around kind of watching never seen him get up never seen him leave worked around got downwind of him and we start working up to the uh the drop off in the creek then it's a real steep creek bed and he's at the bottom of it it's probably 10 12 foot drop to the bottom so we're every time the wind blows we're just taking a few steps getting closer and closer to that creek bed and wind blows take a few steps take a few steps finally we get like right to the edge of the creek bed and i'm thinking he's, he's gonna be right here i'm just gonna you know, shoot him in his bed, looking over the creek. So get right to the edge. Can't see him. It's like, did he run away? What happened? We know he's so close. We can't really talk. We're just kind of using hand signals back and forth. Looking, don't see him, don't see him, don't see him. We ended up standing there for probably 45 minutes. And I'm like, this time, I done screwed up the previous ones. I'm like, I'm hooking my release on. I'm not taking my release off until I've either shot this deer so we've confirmed he's nowhere around. I'm just leaving that release hooked on, ready to shoot. So I'm standing there, bow up and ready, release hooked on for 45 minutes, just, you know, staring at nothing in front of me. And Jim kind of took a step to the left when the wind blew a little bit. And he's looking. We ain't seen anything. We ain't seen anything. And finally, he's like, oh, I see him. He's, he's right here, just right at the break of the creek where the the – Oh, the edge of the creek drops off there. And he's like, can you step over here? And the wind just wasn't blowing. And I was like, no, I just, I can't do it. I can't step over there. He's so close. He's probably within eight yards of where we're standing. Like, I just can't step over there. Well, he stands up. And then, man, you see those big forks come standing up eight yards away. It's uh, quite the quite the adrenaline rush. And I don't know if he heard us or what, but he starts coming up the steep creek to us <laughs> and jim's 
as he's coming up, Jim's getting lower and lower and lower and lower to the ground where he's almost bent completely down face on the ground. And there's a little bit of stage between me and the buck. And I can see the buck's head rack and ears and just a little bit of his neck. And I'm like, Holy crap, he's going to come up here and I'm just going to have to shoot him just straight in the chest at five yards. Well, out of just luck, he turned and starts going left down along with the Creek. I'm like, Oh, this is perfect. So I get drawn. I'm, I'm set and ready and he's moving left with his head down and he's clearing the sage, clearing the sage. Finally, I see his rack come out. He's 10 yards. See his head, his neck, his shoulder clears. And I'm like, perfect. Two more steps and I'm just going to, you know, drill him. And he sees me, he turns and looks and sees me. And it just, it so reminded me like when somebody jumps around a corner and scares you, how you just have that ah reaction. You can see yeah. just every hair on his body frill up and he kind of like woof, made a noise and he jumped and turned to run. Well, when he turned to run, he landed facing straight away from me, which is usually, you know, a, a terrible shot. She, you know, straight away if you're even with the animal. And if you're in a tree stand, it's a bad shot because you're only getting one organ as you go down through the animal. But I was at a 45 degree angle up above him, you know, 10 feet above him. And he had to stop to kind of reload his legs to jump up out of the creek. So when he stopped, I was able to just put the top pin right at the last rib and, and let it go. And it buried all the way into the fletchings. He jumped up out of the creek and I immediately started doing the anatomy math that we all do of the location of impact plus penetration equals what did I cut and start figuring it up. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's probably going to be pretty good on him. And he, uh, he was down in probably 15 seconds. He uh, took off running, made it maybe 70 yards, and flipped over dead. And I just threw my bow down, and it was just like, holy moly, man, I can't believe that happened. To be able to sneak into eight yards on a deer like that, and when you've been spending your whole life 20 feet up in the air, it was just such a, you know, exhilarating experience to be able to get it done. And with archery gear like that, I mean, I, if you were out there with a rifle, I could see where you'd be, you know, just be picking, picking through the buffet. Every deer we saw would, was well within rifle range, but just sneaking in on a deer like that with archery tackle, it was just, just an experience that I will never forget. I'll never forget seeing that deer moving left, seeing me, and then the jump he had to do before I was able to take that shot. It was just such, such a cool thing to be able to experience. So, so how far of a shot was it? Maybe 10 years, uh, 12 yards probably, because he probably jumped a few yards when he turns straight away from me. <laughs> That's it close, was man. just crazy. Oh, I mean, yeah, whenever he came up that, when he came up, started to come up that creek bank, it was the closest I've probably ever been to a deer on the hoof. It was just unreal to see that deer coming up out of there. I think he ended up, he had 16-inch G2s. So when you see 16-inch G2s stand up in front of you, it can be a little unnerving. <laughs> At eight yards. Did, so, real quick, because we're coming up on time, talk talk sure. to me a little bit about, you know, this is your first mule deer, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So, talk to me a little bit about walking up on this animal. What did he look like? And, like, what were some of the emotions that you were that were running through your body as you uh, grabbed his antlers for the first time? It was kind of, you know, I'd been planning it for two years wanting to get out there on something it was almost like a surreal like the whole time even when i was out there i was like man i can't believe this is really happening you know i've been 
dreaming about wanting to get out here and do something like this and actually be doing it. And then to have the, you know, troubles and tribulations that come, I'd assume with spot and stock hunting of blowing those couple of different chances by not getting shot. And then to finally get a shot, have it come together like that and just be so close. It was just a, a flood of emotions that, you know, haven't really experienced a lot in hunting just to be able to have it come together like that. And when he, when he went down, you know, he really rolled, we knew he was done. And just to come over there, I think I was tearing across the sage with Jim following after me, wanting to get over to that deer and, and just to come up on him and the size they're, they're just, their bodies are so big. I mean, it, he, uh, it was probably a four year old deer. He, uh, but he, his size, just his neck. I mean, it was bigger than the five and a half year old deer that I had killed the year before in the middle of the rut. It's his chest was so big. His neck was so big. And just the, the way the rack is, he's, he's a little crabby in the front, but he's, he's tall. He just, you know, looks like a UPS shipping box on top of his head. He's just a, just a tall, big, heavy trained deer. It was just something, something so cool, you know, something that, like I said, like you'll never, never forget in your life. Wow. Well, man, that's pretty cool. Uh, congratulations on, uh, your first mule deer and I guess already having a successful, uh, 2016 season. Now, uh, it's on to whitetails, right? Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, I tell you what, man, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Hey, huge shout out to Travis for coming off the show. I really appreciate him taking time out of his day to, uh, you know, record the podcast i really appreciate it thank you thank you uh huge shout out to exodus outdoor gear for uh their support of the show and huge shout out to deer lab for their support of the show and uh if you guys want to have a free 30-day trial of deer lab make sure you visit deerlab.com backslash nine fingers and that's uh, uh a site set up just for the nine finger chronicle nine finger chronicles that i can't even talk listeners so uh if you go through that route you'll be able to receive a 30 day trial period dude i'm telling you it's uh it's an eye opener for deer movement check it out uh also i kind of want to point your guys's into uh i i kind of haven't talked about uh conservation efforts in a while but go visit uh companies like two percent for conservation and the national deer alliance if you haven't already go sign up and uh um you know participate i mean that's that's how that's how we save what we love other than that instagram twitter facebook leave a review on itunes for me uh all these things help me um just like your downloads i really appreciate it thank you guys very much and the Lone Wolf giveaway and the Scent Crusher giveaway. I'm going to announce the winners uh, Wednesday, which is later today, in a Facebook post. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, tune in, and uh, I'll be picking those three winners. Hey, guys, again, thank you very much. And uh, as the season starts uh, winding up, wear your damn safety harness. <laughs>